Hello and welcome to the ET PhD team podcast, the podcast here to help you with your relationship with food and body by giving you evidence-based techniques to support yourself with a sprinkling of feminism, a dash of dismantling diet culture and a side of vulnerability as we share our own messy lives with you. I'm Emilia, a registered nutritionist and PhD with the sole purpose of making your life happier and healthier. If you love it, please do go wild and share it. And if you're ready for support with our coaching, details are in the show notes. Hello and welcome to episode number 261 of the ETPHD team podcast with myself and Denai. Hi Denai, how are you? Uh, yeah, I'm really good, thank you. How are you? Oh, you sound crisp. You sound crisp and you sound smooth. I'm enjoying that. Enjoying the sound. your microphone. Sorry, I like it a lot. Um, I'm good, thank you. How are you, Anna? I am also good, thank you. Also Great. good, although it is proper cold, so I'm very envious of you in what looks like a bikini top. <laughs> I was hoping you couldn't tell because you can't see, <laughs> can't see past my boobs, so I was kind of hoping it was just... I, I've had a like a, a caftan thing on all morning for calls. I, I'm just sweating, sweating in this room, and I don't want to turn the aircon on for the podcast, so because it'll be annoying. So it's, it was either aircon and clothes or no aircon and bikini top. So this is what went out. So I apologise profusely. No, no, no. I'm, I mean, it, it, to be fair, that was only a guess because it could be a very fancy like halter neck. <laughs> yeah, and then you're like, she doesn't wear fancy clothes, so it's definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to say, but <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely is. Yeah, it's very nice. It's I'm in Malta, and it's. We like we booked a last minute trip like just to work in the sunshine and it's delightful. Delightful. But I was just saying before we came on that I was doing yoga on the balcony and I've done half of my entire body and then my alarm went off for the podcast. So now I and I don't have time to do the other half later. So when you see me, I will clearly be really I don't know bendy on one side and not on the other. Is that how it works? Bit lopsided I guess <laughs> I'm already a bit lopsided just, just how is the... Malta I've never actually been it's beautiful actually I didn't really know what it was going to be like but it's beautiful um small island so all around the coast are just like rocky it's rocky and like blue sea jellyfish season has just come to an end though so we are a little bit mindful of that um so we see sunrise on our end and then sunset is a 10 minute drive so we can see both wow yeah, it's very nice I'm certainly not going to complain and they love Italian food here oh the best yeah but, sorry Jenna, I do like Greek too but Italian pizza yeah it's <laughs> always a competition but, uh, but yeah Malta's quite near Italy so that makes sense yeah yeah it's just yeah it's just Italian island right next to it not an Italian island a tiny island right next to it so um, yeah I'm not sure um, okay shall we just get started on the questions tonight do you want to go first Yes, so this is from Rosalind's client. I've been really enjoying the breathing somatic work I've been set. I'd love to learn more about it, the science behind it, and any more way to do this. Well, this is great timing because Katie, our neurosomatic coach, actually, we just did a podcast on her work, which will come out on Monday. So I highly recommend that you listen to that if you're into somatic work or you're intrigued by it or you want to know what it is. Um but as a client of ETPHD, you can actually work with Katie in addition to the work you're doing um, with your coach to get a little bit of extra learning about somatics and get some extra exercises to support yourself. And really the idea is, uh, well, Katie goes into it in a lot more detail, but we're really ha- enhancing that mind-body, ultimately mind-body-spirit connection. Um, so that's, realistically the best thing to do is listen to the podcast on Monday Katie also has um a free resource on if you go through her Instagram bio and if you download the free resource you'll get loads of example ideas that you can do at home um and then if you want to do one-off sessions with Katie you absolutely can and if you're not a client of Katie's then you can become a client if you're not a client of ETPHD monthly or a coach then you can become a client of ETPHD through working with Katie solely I think that does that answer the question <laughs> uh okay Anna question uh after covid or any illness that leaves you without full use of your senses how can you work with that to still feel satiated 
been so much COVID around recently. I don't know about you guys, but I've had a few clients. And my mum's had it again. Oh, bless her. Is she okay? She's okay. <laughs> well, I think that's a frustrating thing. She's absolutely fine. Um, but it's just feeling frustrated because she's, she's so mindful. Like She's like, I still don't want to go out, which I completely understand. Yeah, uh, fair. I, I think there's definitely been a spike. I mean, I say definitely. I don't know the numbers, but from what mm-hmm. I've heard, there has been a spike. I think the thing is, is satiation, one, is an extremely difficult word to say. Um, and two, it depends on so much more than just taste. So it's about food volume, nutrient density, um, and of course, taste. Um, I would just work on everything that you can manage with that in terms of those things and being mindful when you eat. And if you can try to be, try to almost retrain, like what one of the best things you can do for your body image in relationship with food sometimes is to take a beginner's mind, which is a Buddhist concept, which really encourages you to look at things like you've never looked at them before in fact one of the katie's somatic practices that we did on monday's podcast was looking at your hands like you've never looked at them before and i i kind of went along with the practice and i was like that's a that's lovely and please tell me there's a video (laughs) no there's no video sorry no videos at all definitely (laughs) definitely didn't um but but it's that concept of beginner's mind and I like to do that when I'm out in nature and looking at flowers and things like that and looking at it like you've never seen it before. And so with your senses, I wonder, can you try that food like you've never had it before? Can you approach it in that way of, do I notice any taste? Do I notice any textures? Do I notice any temperatures? What does it look like? There are many other senses, four to be precise, not taste that you can try maybe you can't smell either so that knocked you down to three um but I know like when my sinuses deviated septum don't know if anyone knows that I've got it I've definitely not talked about it many times before um but I know when I'm struggling with sinusitis or you know really blocked up and I can't really taste I know it's frustrating but I will just be extra intentional with other methods of of mindfulness and um also accountability in terms of making sure I'm eating because sometimes eating just just doesn't bring joy and you're like oh it sucks yeah it's a little bit when you're ill and you have low appetite but you still kind of want to get some food in your system even though you really don't feel like it but what you're describing it kind of reminds me that mindful raise and task that sometimes we give to clients which is which that's what kind of clients say oh my god I've eaten a raisin so many times but it's for the first time that I paid attention to what it feels like what the texture is like the different edges the and all of these things that we just take for granted because we're just so, so, so kind of on autopilot when we're eating so I love that thanks <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I would add like um you both touched on when kind of the senses are whether whether it's lack of smell lack of taste like can be really hard to feel hunger but it can also be really hard to feel fullness so keeping to those guidelines like you were saying in the media in in being intentional with still having meals but also thinking when I know typically like this serving size is sufficient for me um and and trusting that because I think when taste isn't there it can be and like we touch on this uh, part of the the fullness work in terms of the the role that taste and satisfaction plays in overall satiety and when that's missing that can be a difficult time uh or not a, a time where you're maybe more likely to overeat and so just trusting yourself that okay yes it's sucky when you miss out the enjoyment um of the taste of food but deep down you know that this is a serving that normally leaves me feeling full and satisfied yeah bringing a bit more objectivity into it sometimes is helpful agreed okay one of those don't I roles but is it normal lol to feel a mix of sadness anger frustration maybe grief towards yourself at the years you followed silly extremes and how you treated your body absolutely in fact I would say it's one of the hardest parts of recovery when you kind of start to really connect back to yourself, come back to your values, get clarity in terms of how you want to be kind of, you know, living your life moving forward. And perhaps when you look back, a lot of clients of mine say that feel really, really sad that they've wasted so many years, not dating, not socializing, not going on holidays because they were so terrified around kind of being out of 
routine. And I think it's so important to hold those uh, emotions because they're in a way messengers that are kind of telling you about things that are really important to you and value you. And they can almost, you know, sometimes they can also kind of be used a little bit as fuel for kind of why you want to keep doing the hard work moving forward and not revert back to old habits when things start to feel uh, challenging again. Mm. Like you said, Denise, I was going to say Denise, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> don't you worry, I'm used to all kinds of variations. <laughs> all of those feelings have their place and learning to sit with them and I know something I did and it wasn't to do with my relationship with food but something else that where there was a lot of mixed feelings and one of the best things I did was to write a letter to myself almost kind of with everything that you know now like what did she need to hear at that time naturally I'm going to suggest doing the same thing and getting a journal out but I think that can be a nice reflection of look I'm not in that that place anymore and it's okay because so like we talk about it all the time all, all of the things that will influence kind of you having those struggles but you are not that person anymore you put in so much work um so really like honing in on that being proud of all of the effort that you put in so far mm. Yeah, and I think also acceptance is just really important. And again, allowing that full spectrum of human emotion of that, it's it's not unusual, there's nothing wrong, it will pass. These feelings are perfectly quote-unquote normal or human responses to awareness, like to the awareness of that's how I, how that, it's not how you treated things. I think, treated yourself I think you know that compassionate statement of two things one Maya Angelou when you know better do better and two everyone is this is not Maya Angelou but like everyone is doing the best they can from where they are and showing and I know this person is extremely compassionate towards others and getting very compassionate towards yourself too but taking that compassionate approach to your past self of that was that you did the best you could from where you were and the way that you treated your body, the way that you, your relationship with food, all of these things, again, like we always say, was serving a purpose for you. It gave you that sense of potentially of control, of comfort, of um, whatever it was that you were looking for. And, and these habits and behaviours serve different purposes for different people. And so I wonder if you can almost look at them and, and say, you know, I appreciate that time in my life because those habits and behaviours did help me through those really harder times. Even if you look back and think, oh, there's nothing quote, unquote hard. There was something going on for you, which is why you developed those things in the first place. Um, so taking that kind of kind, curious approach to, to that and then almost being thankful. And, I, and I look, I'm not thankful that I binge ate for so long. I'm not thankful for it, but... I'm super grateful for what it taught me. I'm super grateful that I've moved through it. I'm super grateful that at a time in my life where things probably would have been really difficult to deal with, I didn't deal with them because I was bingy. And like, that's not great. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone, but I know why. I know what it was. And I and uh, the pain that I probably like protected myself from was, was a lot. So I wonder if you can reframe it a little bit in that sense, whilst also, of course, accepting that it's it's okay and, and it's actually probably quite a compassionate thing to to feel sad for your past self deny uh, so as a pt who advocates supporting women to get stronger recovering from ha how can you navigate putting the right amount of emphasis on the things your journey is teaching you for example training for health not aesthetics or fat loss not hating a back-to-back group classes and hammering the body i just hope my mindset around everything is helping people become aware but not scare them what was the first first part of that question sorry first part how can you navigate putting the right amount of emphasis on the things your journey is teaching you i'm not a hundred percent sure that i don't i'm not a hundred percent sure that i i understand 
as a PT who advocates supporting women to get stronger, comma, recovering from HA, comma, how can you navigate putting the right amount of emphasis on the things your journey is teaching you? Honestly, one thing I would say is what's amazing is that you're, you're trying to use your journey to support people to come become aware, but as a PT, it's not about you. So you can you can talk a little bit about your journey. And I think that is important, um, especially as you've moved through it. But honestly, the right amount of emphasis is probably 95% other people and value and 5% you. And there's only so much of your own stuff you can fit into 5% of your content realistically. Um, so you can vary, you can talk about something that you've recently experienced. Um, so if you're recovering from HA or you're supporting people with HA, I guess that's maybe you've maybe done both or maybe you're doing both. Um, I don't think there's a... As long as you're not, your, your, your message aligns with that. You're saying don't hammer yourself, don't focus solely on aesthetics um, or don't so focus solely on fat loss. It, it, it aligns with that. So you can talk maybe once about, once in a while about, you know, you focused on aesthetics too much. You hammered your body and you developed HA. And that's one of the reasons why you support women um, or people who menstruate to not do those things. But then that's the only thing you have to say realistically um and then it's then it's more about value 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 so i don't know if that's, that 100 answers your question but i'm not 100 sure what the question is you're not going to scare people i think the scaring thing is interesting you're not scaring people unless they maybe resonate with something that you're saying you're bringing awareness to things so me saying 30 to 35 percent of people who enter a diet become pathological dyers dyers dieters mm -hmm. and out of those people i think the percentage i think it works out something like 25 percent of those people develop partial or full bone eating disorders if that scares you then it's what think about why that scares you that's me bringing awareness to the fact that dieting can increase your risk of disordered eating despite what some people on Instagram will tell you and some short-term research might suggest. Um, if, again, this, this, the scariness comes from looking at your own behaviours and habits and what you're currently doing. Um, but I do remember posting about um, the realities of changes in bone mineral density with HA. And there was a one paper that looked at the bone mineral density after six months of HA of... Um, I don't know if it was a case study, I can't remember, or a group of people, but their bone mineral density was similar to a 51-year-old woman. And I remember posting about that, and then I remember um, someone that I follow quite soon after saying, it's not our job to scare people into change. People are scared enough. And I thought, that's interesting. I assume that's about me, and it, I didn't take it personally, because I thought, that's not your method of doing things. That's fine. I'm not here to scare people, but it's important that we have we understand the reality of what's happening and it's important that we build resilience if we're going to recover our disordered from our disordered eating and recover our body image so um it is it in part i think it's a bit of a perception hmm. yeah. it's weird, isn't it? um oh one that none of us can relate to i'm sure uh, I always feel guilty when I'm not doing something on a to-do list. I have a never-ending list of work and life admin in my head and I can't relax about it, but then it takes me ages to even do the things on the list, so I can't relax about it. How to take a step away but not have it constantly going around in your head? I write physical lists too and that doesn't help. <laughs> I accept that you're always going to have a list. It's one of the best pieces of advice I've ever given myself because I'm so clever. I read it in a book, 4,000 Weeks. Obviously, everyone knows I talk about it all the bloody time. I'm bored of myself. Um, <laughs> but you're always going to have a list. And the sooner you get comfortable... Is this a coach that wrote this question? No, no. This... Um, no, it, I, th I think this is someone that has restored her cycle but has struggled with HA in the past. Oh, fantastic. Um, yeah. It's a very uncomfortable truth that there will always be things to do. There will always be people to see. There will probably always be emails to reply to and WhatsApp messages to reply to. And that one is extremely uncomfortable. But as soon as you get used to it, it, it removes the pressure because the pressure comes from trying to get it all done. And listen, you're never going to, you're never going to, even when you 
finish your to-do list, you find something else to do. Even if it's something fun and goes on the list, there's always something there. So honestly, that is my main, main piece of advice. Also get curious about why you feel that you always need to be busy. Because, and I say this with the most love in the world, you're probably no busier than someone else. And sometimes we tell ourselves we're really busy and sometimes we create busyness for ourselves. Now, listen, if there's somebody listening to this who is a parent of multiple children working, maybe a solo parent, um, maybe doesn't have a lot of support, many things, right? This, you may be busier than, you might be busier than me, for example, right? Um, and this person might be a parent and I totally get like there's extra additional load for you. But then then the acceptance of that busyness is, is also even more important to you because your list probably has never done because you've got children who will always need something. And I can't imagine what that feels like in terms of mental load. I really can't. I haven't been through that. But um, I would get curious about your relationship with busyness. And actually, Lucy and I were talking on our walk this morning. This is part of my email tomorrow. We were talking this morning about um, like that kind of busyness and she said I've written it down because I put it in my email sometimes doing less is harder than doing more and just fell out of her mouth and I was like I need to talk about that and 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 look at that and think it would doing less be harder for me than doing more and why would that be the case mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> The thing I was going to say as well is, and why does he feel so uncomfortable when he's not able to get everything done as well, right? Because sometimes I can also put light in some core beliefs that we're holding about ourselves. And for example, you know, a lot of people with perfectionistic tendencies, for example, if the, if you're feeling deep down a part of you that you're not feeling good enough and then you're placing your worth on how productive you are kind of getting things done, of course, you're, there's always going to be a sense of failure that comes with that because it's just humanly impossible to get everything uh done and a lot of my clients as well even clients that i've had that there are actually moms they realize that constantly kind of beating themselves up around kind of pushing 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 getting everything uh done kind of creating that super busy life that they're really kind of working hard to maintain has become a coping mechanism for distracting them for other things that are going on and other suppressed emotions and it's it's so subconscious that sometimes we don't even realize until we really take a step back and we start to question where this habit is coming from in the first place Mm. i was thinking you know obviously we talk about kind of practicing imperfect action to help with perfectionism and like you you were saying deny often kind of everything needing to be 100% and completed all of the time and leads into to that perfectionism and I don't, don't know if you've seen it I I love um like it's you know like uh chewing gum for the brain like I like big bang theory that is my my switch off and there's an episode where I can't remember what they're trying to do but obviously Sheldon is a certain type of personality and to help him through something they like finish things off for him and almost kind of flipping that in reverse so he can't finish it and he has to sit with that kind of uncomfortable feeling and maybe kind of taking what we what we say in practicing in perfect action maybe it's okay I'm actively going to practice not finishing something on my to-do list and sit with that discomfort so it's almost teaching yourself it's okay that things aren't finished it's okay to do everything but actually give me the heebie-jeebies because it's horrible. <laughs> and I'd actually want to make that point, point of like, it's not comfortable sometimes. I don't know if you ever get comfortable with not finishing things, super comfortable. Or I'm not saying don't meet deadlines and stuff, and that's not what you're saying, but just like letting things go till tomorrow and watching that nothing mm-hmm. changed. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I will, I'd got into, I know this will come as a shock, but and I know Lynn will obviously feel very differently to me but I was actively practicing leaving messages like emails until the next morning because am I going to make a typo on that email probably am I going to read it properly probably not because it's six o'clock in the evening and my energy has been spent on clients so actually doing it first thing tomorrow when I'm fresh that's going to be more beneficial for everybody involved and not send an email to myself again because (laughs) Is it me? Mm-hmm. 
any advice on how to open your heart to the old you? Oh, that mm, kind of ties in with the last question, actually. So I'm going to skip that one out because it, it was I thought it was a two part question. So are you ready for this? Because this is a longie. I have heard, this is one of George's clients, I have heard it from the team on the podcast before, that keeping things out of the house isn't the best course of action. I find that though I don't always overeat on these quote-unquote highly palatable foods, I will always pick them over something else in the house. So for example, I'm thinking it's getting time for a snack and I start cataloguing the foods in the house I have and I think an apple with cottage cheese sounds amazing. Whatever floats your boat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> then I remember I have lemon Oreos in the pantry and I start the debate on justifying having those instead. If they aren't in the house, I don't even think about them, crave them or wish I had bought them. So I guess my question is, should I just keep them out of the house until I want them? Or should I continue trying to challenge this, even though I'm usually not super successful at not justifying the consumption? It should be noted that I don't feel guilty when I eat them or after they are done. I don't demonize them or think they are bad foods. It's more like I regret making the decision when in a few hours I'm hungry again. And I know I didn't make the best choice for my goals or values. However, I have a hard time turning them down when they are so readily available. It doesn't sit right all the time when I make this decision. I still stand by the fact that just because you know that you might gravitate towards them if they're in the house, it's not a reason not to have them in the house. It might not be something you include every week on your shopping list just because you might fancy normal Oreos one week or a different type of biscuit, I don't know. But the point being, you're not telling yourself, well, if I'm not gonna make a poor decision or a decision that's not in line with my goals and values if they're not in the house because it's still leading into that restrictive mindset. And I would question if you're purposely not buying them, how mindful will you be able to be when you do have them next time? And I think you've been able to identify that, okay, Oreos don't leave me feeling as satiated. Um, They might not leave you feeling satiated at all. And you're hungrier earlier. Okay, well, let's work with that. Can I have... I can't believe I'm saying, can I have cottage cheese, (laughs) each to their own? Can I have cottage cheese with Oreo to help with feelings of fullness? So it's not one or the other. And obviously I don't know your goals if you're working towards fat loss, there's still certainly a place for an Oreo and it might be, I have it at the end of my meal again to get the taste and satisfaction. Or you make that decision um, and use that fear side of self-compassion and go, well, it isn't in line with my goals right now, but I'm still not going to purposely keep them at the house. Yeah, I love that. And I was thinking about that, actually kind of meeting yourself in the middle. And a lot of my clients, when they kind of introduce previously restri- uh, previously trigger foods in their diet, they actually they may have them within kind of as a snack whilst also incorporating other nourishing foods with that snack to make it a little bit more satisfying so you can keep you fuller for longer. But also the other thing I would get curious about, because it sounds like almost there's kind of an inner battle, we're knowing that you want to choose something for nourishment that's going to keep you fuller versus gravitating towards maybe a food that's going to give you instant gratification. And is there perhaps an element of whether that's maybe an element of kind of looking for some comfort or perhaps also an element of excitement and maybe that's relevant to a client that maybe for years has restricted those foods and now you're bringing them in the house and finally you're just feeling really excited that you can eat them. So you kind of want to have more of them. And sometimes that is just a natural part of the process that you have to go through until you kind of realize that, again, you're not going to restrict those foods again. No one is going to take them away from you. So you naturally start to feel more calmer around them and it's easier to make choices than in line with your values and what you need in that specific context. I'm thinking about what I want to say. I agree with both of what you've said. Um, And I think ultimately the place that you want to get to is having those foods in the house all the time and being able to make that values aligned decision, right? Of saying just something as simple as what's, what will my future self thank me for? I don't, you know what? I used to talk about using that question all the time and I actually now prefer what will my tonight self thank me for? What will my tomorrow self thank me for? How do I want to feel in the morning? How do I want to feel tonight? Because that you see that person as yourself you don't see your future self as yourself because you're like who is my future self it could be me when I'm 90 um so I wonder if you could start maybe having rather than just wiping them out your house putting a post-it on on them that says how do you want to feel tonight 
is this in line with your goals and encouraging yourself just to put that pause in before you then take before you then make a decision and then of course you own the decision because like you kind of touched on Anna if you then take them out of the house you are affirming to yourself but ultimately you don't trust yourself to make a helpful decision for yourself you don't trust yourself around that food and keeping them out of the house again um reaffirms that and over time what is that going to do to your relationship with food so that's super super important I suppose for some people if your corner shop sells lemon oreos and you know that you can have them whenever you want and you really fancy them and you do allow yourself to go to the shop and have them then that's then that might be the best thing for you that might be okay it's not usually the way that we would go but one size doesn't fit all and for some people you know like you said again Anna like buying them now and again allow yourself to buy them now and again but what you might find if you do that is you then start to overeat on them again or not that you overeat on them now but like you might start to overeat on them because you've restricted you might not so I wonder if you maybe reduce the frequency of yourself buying them or and or you start sticking a post-it or something on you that just requires you to pause think about your tonight self think about your tomorrow morning self and if that doesn't work then you really need to think about well actually if that's not working and I can't put that pause in and make a values aligned decision I'm removing them from my house is just a, a way of not dealing with that and that's probably not going to be helpful if it does help then great and you might find that you stop wanting to buy them because the novelty has actually worn off and that will continue but that will continue to dissipate over time so I know I've not given from my side a super super clear answer I agree with what you've both said I think I just want to suppose make space for the fact that there are some like not exceptions but there are not everyone does things the same way is I suppose what I'm trying to say potentially not very eloquently I apologize uh did I uh what effect can stress have on how your body stores uses energy interesting question this is probably based on the fact that stress increases your cortisol levels and people say that it's your reason for middle mid fat gain mid, like midsection gain fat gain or not losing fat I've actually got this in my list of posts to do um because someone else asked me about this on Instagram um cortisol doesn't stop you from using energy losing body fat or losing body fat from particular areas um there is some minimal evidence around like potentially contributing to that midsection body fat gain but it's not anything that is um important to consider what is important to consider is how stress impacts your behaviors that then impacts your body composition and or energy levels chronic stress will reduce your energy levels um chronic stress will increase your likelihood of overeating or increase your likelihood of undereating or both and there's a big genetic component to that um it will increase your obviously it contributes to dysregulation and then you lead it fall into dysregulation uh sorry dysregulated habits or habits to try and manage that dysregulation so stress is the impact of stress is much more about the impact it has on your habits and your behaviors than it does on like calorie burn or energy usage and spe- specifically energy usage in terms of cal- like um yeah calories like expenditure of your body um and our body fat stores yeah i was thinking that and as well what you mentioned with the body image side of things we also know that stress impact chronic stress especially impacts our gut health lots of people may struggle with things like ibs as a result of being chronically anxious or stressed and then if that causes bloating and then maybe you associate that with oh am i gaining weight why am i why is my stump my time ex- kind of extended most of the time it could just purely be bloating water retention indigestion nothing to do with actual gain of of body fat that's a good point. Anna. Um, so is there anything to explain irregularities in periods besides stress, reduction in food and increased expenditure, especially if you have a history of HA? What was the start of that question? Sorry. Is there anything to explain irregularities in periods? besides stress food 
an expenditure. Yes, pituitary tumours, usually, like I mean benign, pituitary tumour, PCOS, endometriosis, um, excessive energy expenditure or high-intensity exercise, but that's physiological stress. Um, more so, it's more so the kind of anatomical, physiological potential contributors, like PCOS, um, that could potentially impact it. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. If you've had a history of HE, it's probably not going to be those things. Although you absolutely can have HE and have those experiences alongside of that. But if you have a history of HE and you begin to get regular periods, it's more likely to do with your stress, your energy intake, your energy expenditure. Um, and often with if you have a history of HE, our bodies go into HE or irregular periods almost more quickly than they did before because it's like again that's not that's anecdotal but it's based on our experience of working with clients because I think there's a bit of a self-preservation um, thing going on there of like we know what's coming and we don't want that to happen so let's preserve now um, but remember it's not just for example about overall calorie intake it's also about nutrient intake it's also about the spread of calories throughout the day so you're not you're minimizing within day deficits it's physiological stress it's psychological stress and there are lots of contributors to that. And some of those you might not even have considered. I am always really mindful when I say this, because I don't want to sound dismissive. Because absolutely, when you have a history of HA, yes, there is, like you say, we notice a bit more sensitivity to changes. But when you have that history of HA, it can be so hard not to then get really worried when you notice a slight change in your cycle. And for reference, this was one, one cycle. Um, and an, I think it can be really hard to keep in mind that sometimes our cycles do just throw a spanner in the works <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes they are a little bit longer. Sometimes they are a little bit shorter or a bit different. Or sometimes there is a missed one for no real reason if we know that kind of stress, energy expenditure, food hasn't really changed. And I mean, me and this client have obviously spoken about like we are just going to, like she keeps a track of a cycle. We're going to keep tabs on things and make sure everything is continued to be managed as possible but just being mindful that it might also be like a weird month for whatever reason. And sometimes it's it's not explained. Yeah, exactly. And if there's overthinking that comes with that, that itself, it's a huge source of stress and anxiety and panic that can kind of contribute to that as well. Okay. Um, I think it's me. I have read a lot about exercise timing. Does it really matter what time you exercise or is the effect minimal? Well, Ina, Ina, that's my German. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, they don't speak German in Malta. But <laughs> what a shame. Italians, a lot of them. Grazie. Um, that's about it. Um, I know it is a shame because I am particularly fluent in higher um, grade German. I will share some of that with you if you would like me to at some point. Um, no, it doesn't matter. When are you most likely to exercise? When are you most likely to exercise well? When do you enjoy exercising? When do you have the best social time in the gym? If that's important to you, that's your social time. When do you have the worst social time in the gym? If that's important to you, um, that's what matters. It's, uh, yeah, that that honestly, that that is it. Um, nothing more, nothing less for people maybe who I'm trying to think of potential examples maybe no because in terms of evidence it's not there like mechanistically we could think okay maybe if someone struggles with PCOS insulin resistance which dips often overnight in the evening maybe exercising later in the day could potentially be helpful but there's no evidence for that that's just mechanistically speaking usually when you see about exercise time it's to do with like your cortisol being high at certain times of the day or testosterone being high at certain times of the day, there's zero evidence to say that exercise at different times of day makes any difference. And the research has been done. It's not like it just hasn't been done yet. 
I'd okay. have definitely bought into it if it told me I was going to get greater gains at one point. Definitely. When? I did. If it, if if someone had told me I need to train at a certain time of day and I'd get greater gains, I'd have definitely done it years ago. Hundred percent. Regardless of the fact that you say there's no actual evidence, be like, yeah, absolutely. I'll be there at 4 a.m. No problem. You know what? If someone said to me now, I'm just thinking, if someone said to me now, if you do your yoga first thing in the morning, you're going to you're going to find it easier or getting bendier. If you're going to get bendier if you do it first thing in the morning, would I potentially do it? Probably. Probably. Mm. Not if there wasn't any evidence. I would check the evidence. But like, <laughs> if I didn't know, if I didn't know to check the evidence, and they were like, "Oh yes, yeah, happens," I'd be like, hmm, "I can see like, that." I love, I love a morning morning yoga session. Like, I just think in terms of kind of how it sets you up for the day mentally, but physically, I'm like, I cannot move. I'm gonna snap. <laughs> yeah, you do a forward fold, and you're like, and then like, okay, forward fold, and then you straighten your arms or whatever, and then you're like. Oh, normally I might have my arms like flat back, hands on the floor, and I'm like, oh, flat back, hands on my hips or like top of my thighs, and I'm like, still not flat back. It's like you just are so sticky. I went through an early one on Tuesday, and I can't remember like halfway through the class, we went into Malasana squat, and my knees went, and the instructor heard. I was like, oh, you're a great Malasana squat, Malasana squat, Malasana squat too. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, but my knees are like, no, past 30 now. <laughs> yeah, welcome. I said to Lucy last night, I was like, I think I'm getting arthritis. My joints keep hurting and like my elbow's really sore and I'm getting swollen up knuckles on my fingers. I haven't cured it, by the way, so I might be getting arthritis, but I feel like it, hopefully just some sort of seasonal change as opposed to early onset mm-hmm. arthritis. We'll feed back. Yeah. Um, did I? Um, so from George's client, is fasting a dangerous thing for those who have had eating disorders? Will we ever be able to fast healthily? I feel like it's a good detox. Uh, sorry, I feel like it's good to detox sometimes and inflammatory, etc. No. no, don't fast. You you do not need to detox your body. Um, why do you feel that it's good to detox? Um, often when you come from a background of eating disorders or disordered eating you want to it's helpful to find or it feels helpful to find new ways of controlling your diet that feel healthier than what you did before and I can totally understand it's super normal to to go down that road and often the people that we work with have kind of come from that and sometimes that can lead to things like orthorexia or again just dysfunctional eating habits there's no evidence to say that fasting is anti-inflammatory there's no evidence to say that it will detox you. Detox isn't detoxing you isn't a thing. Um, there's no reason. I would never. There's no reason why you would ever benefit from fasting. Uh, realistically, some people benefit from fasting if they are trying to lose body fat, um, and it helps to have a slightly smaller calorie window. They don't overeat. They maybe just have breakfast a little bit later, as an example. Most people fast in the quote-unquote least healthy way. They hoard their calories till later in the day, which is when we actually don't want to probably eat as many of our calories. Health-wise, there's a direct impact with this, right? But if I had to pick when you ate most of your calories, I would say probably more in the morning for your health, for your metabolic health, because of reductions in things like insulin sensitivity, gastric emptying, et cetera, at night. We know that happens. But most people fast and they go, oh, I'm going to eat from 12 till 8 okay, well, you're missing actually the time of the day where you're most metabolically, it's actually a great time to eat where you're most insulin sensitive and you're probably moving a bit more in the morning and um, you've been in a state of muscle protein breakdown overnight and so you want to get some protein in. So most people don't do it quote unquote healthily or like optimal health wise, ironically. I would, so it's not that it's, you will never, you would never be able to fast that I would always recommend avoiding it. Okay, Anna, shall we go for a, a complete change of pace? Um, unsure if asked before, but death row meals. Ooh. To be fair, I want you to go away and also ask Lucy because I'd be just nosy. I want to hear what what someone. I get her. She's not busy. I might get her giving her in. Um, 
you guys go first. Oh, it's such a tough question because I go through phases of kind of having different obsessions with different foods. So whatever I say now, it might be completely different in like a week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm, I've been such a hard one I think I can't I can't decide right now but I'm gonna be like sneaky and say something like meze or tapas or antipasti where you get a taste of lots of different things I'm not pussy on which one so that could be a surprise and then um what am I gonna say it has to be Mexican like tacos no. Hi. Um, kind of questions that I love. Right? <laughs> she was very quick in her answer, by the way, too. As soon as I brought it, as soon as I said the question, it was like, well. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's too much there's too much thinking going on. What? Uh desserts gonna have to be a brownie job done. Oh. What's yours? I would do sticky toffee pudding with a side of extra salted hot fries. Oh. Yeah, that's good. And sweet oh my god nice and salty. okay good i like that rogue rogue very rogue i was going for three course meal ah <laughs> uh, no three course meal just just big sticky toffee pudding ice cream on side and chips oh uh, i would like truffle fries actually truffle cheese fries healthy, isn't it truffle cheese fries, truffle cheese fries. is it yeah it's a truffle oh don't care truffle cheese fries what would i have for dessert Not sure. Maybe a Victoria sponge. Maybe Lucy Lord Jammy Dodge <laughs> Brownie. <laughs> Not more. Um, you can have your Vicky sponge. Thanks. Basic. <laughs> and basic. <laughs> you know this about me. I think that's what I'd have. That's not really a main course, though, is it? Maybe also pizza. We're getting tacos, isn't in there, to be fair. Mm. I know I've had so many tackles that I feel a little bit like mm, mm. novelty, unconditional permission to eat, etc. etc. Through that. <laughs> you have a tie like that, that in there. Thanks. Relevant. Thanks so much. Yeah. Okay, you can leave Thank now. You. Thanks so much. See you in five. <laughs> um, okay. Next question is me, correct? Yeah. Okay. Next question. Question. What are the most common reasons that people feel resistance to eating mindfully? Oh, so that's a good question. It's often, it's often like rest, I find, in when you stop doing, that's when all of, all of or some of those uncomfortable thoughts and feelings can come up. Um, because you're so used to eating on the go, eating, doing a million and one other things, like you don't even notice that it's that might be a distraction technique in a way. And then when you stop and you're actually kind of, I was going to say forced, but actively trying to eat mindfully, that's really like, oh, this feels new and uncomfortable and I don't think I like it. Mm. We were speaking about this today, um, weirdly. And I think also one of the potential reasons is because it's almost restful. And it's like, how dare I have the luxury of not eating at my computer? I've got too much to do. Um, I don't deserve to sit for 20 minutes just to eat a meal that's very self-indulgent. And then that ties into your self-worth of when you do things that quote-unquote are self-indulgent, it feels very incongruent and it feels very difficult to treat yourself in that way if you don't feel that you're worthy of doing that. And on top of that, if you don't feel comfortable with rest, although of course that's not rest, but if you don't feel comfortable with rest and you frame it as that in your head, then that brings up the discomfort that comes with that as well. Yeah, I think the most common phrase I hear from clients when we talk about mindful eating and eating without distractions is that it's a wasted time because they have a million other things to do that it's better. Oh, I can watch my show as a break. I can read a book. I can listen to a podcast. I can do some work at the same time. Uh, and I think it's it's one of the hardest things that you learn to do actually in this in this process, even though it sounds so so easy. And I think not to also pathologize it necessarily because I think 
it could just also be a very ingrained habit that we're so used to eating with the TV on sometimes that it's just hard to break and it will take a little bit of time to get used to not having background noise when you're eating and to actually pay attention to your food. A little bit like what Amelia was saying, pay attention to your hands for the first time even though you always have your hands with you. I have with a client, and I think we've said this before as well, I had a bit of a middle ground because it felt so uncomfortable. And if you are someone that maybe struggles with kind of anxiety in general, like it's adding an extra layer to it. And kind of sometimes it's about finding a bit of a middle ground. So, okay, might not have the TV on, but I might have a chill mix playing in the background. So I've got some level of a focus that's not just I need to eat the food really slowly and mindfully may I recommend not listening to true crime podcasts when you're trying to- <laughs> <laughs> before I left I think it was like I was super busy when I was before we came to Malta and I was I had my smoothie and I like to be mindful with my smoothie but like I'm going to be completely honest it's that one meal that usually I have after the gym and I'm doing something getting ready or whatever and um I was sipping it and it had like chunks of prunes in it because that's one of my favorite ways to have a smoothie which sounds disgusting but it is delicious I promise and then on the podcast that I was listening to they were talking about this man who like he was he was a cannibal and he severed this woman and then he cut a chunk trigger warning he cut a chunk of her like bum cheek off and then used it as like a fillet and it was on my podcast as I was drinking my pruny smoothie and I was like it's too much even for me too much for me and it really it wasn't great for for myself to be frank I didn't drink all of the prunes which was a real shame because they were just delightful and so that so if you are moving away from the tv to something else ditch psychopedia the worst slash best true crime podcast um and maybe go with i don't know radio one relax or something i could come for that life change really lo-fi is my favorite you love what sorry chill lo-fi yeah 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 Yeah, my favorite it's constantly on (laughs) yeah or obviously kaibo piano works of course of course, all the time. <laughs> every, every single time I see the words Kygo Piano Mix, it's like I lose a bit of love for Mana's eyes every time. She's like, not again. Shh. No. I know, I'm really sorry. But it has to be said. Um, okay, we're going to leave it there, I think, this week. Thank you so much, everyone, for your questions. Keep them coming in. Thank you both so much. Thanks. Thank Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, if you did, please do feel free to like, share, subscribe and review. And if you would like to chat to me, then you can find details of my Instagram in the show notes.